0: And we turn again to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 18, beginning with verse 21. I am being somewhat more selective in chapters 18 and 19, but without looking at verses 21 and following, I somewhat feel that last week's sermon is half-finished. This portion is really needed to fill out what we looked at last week when we looked at the text, If Your Brother Sins Against You. Matthew 18, beginning with verse 21, but let us bow reverently before the Lord before reading. Our Father and our God, we ask that the Holy Spirit will take this inerrant word, this word that is without error in the whole and in the part, and apply it to our consciences, to our Affections, to our hearts, to our wills, that through our understanding of this text, you would transform our lives, the lives of believers, but also, Father, that those among us who are lost and undone may see their need of Christ the Savior and of forgiveness of sins. Rivet our attention, we pray, upon the truth of this text and give to us, we ask, changed lives as the result of its exposition, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 18, beginning with verse 21. This is the word of God. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Forgiveness of sins is central to the Christian faith. It is the key issue in the Christian faith that we are born in original sin, that we are hopeless and helpless and depraved and cannot save ourselves, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save us by a shed blood on the cross. These are the core issues in the Christian faith. Forgiveness defines the Christian. I once was lost, now I see. I once was blind. I could not find my way out of this, this horrible, horrible lostness in which I was in And now I am forgiven by the blood of Christ. And because we are forgiven people, we forgive others also who sin and trespass against us. One who does not forgive has not been forgiven. You will, of course, remember that in Proverbs 19, we are told, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. We are told by Paul the Apostle in the book of Ephesians, why it is that we can and should and will as Christians overlook the offense when he tells us in Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now let me ask this question before we move on. What do you do when you are sinned against? I don't mean do you follow the first portion of Matthew 18 that we looked at last week, You go to your brother, you follow through the steps of discipline. I mean your heart. Do you harbor within your heart ill feeling toward your brother? Do you harbor within your heart hatred toward your brother? Do you let it fester? Do you let it build up? How do you deal with this great matter of your brother who has sinned against you existentially, personally, experientially? Now as we look at this text, I think we find the answer to that question as to how Christians respond First of all, we have Peter's question in verse 21. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, of course, he has just been taught on the subject of discipline. And in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6, he was taught on the subject of forgiveness. But Peter does not yet see that God's forgiveness is infinite. He does not yet see that forgiveness comes at the high cost of Jesus' shed blood. And he thinks that he's very magnanimous to be able to say seven times. There are reasons for saying seven times, what the rabbis taught and so forth, but he thinks that he's very magnanimous. Our fallen natures are not disposed to forgive. Our fallen natures are disposed to harbor ill toward our brother. Seven times is a fundamental misunderstanding of what forgiveness is all about. And so that's Peter's question. And secondly, we see Jesus answer that tells us the extent of forgiveness. Peter does not yet know what forgiveness costs. He does not know that it will require Jesus going to a cross and shedding his blood in order that we might be pardoned of our iniquities. Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you understand that you can only be forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross as the substitute for sinners? Do you know that? Peter does not yet see that God's forgiveness is infinite. He does not understand that sin is against God's infinite character and infinite nature. And therefore, those of us who have sinned against him are deserving of God's infinite displeasure. He doesn't see that it requires an infinitely valuable sacrifice in our place to bear God's wrath in order that we might be forgiven our sins. He will see it, he will understand it, but at this point he does not see. And so Jesus' answer on the extent of forgiveness is found in verse 22 When Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Now you understand that the Lord is not saying, let's calculate up to seventy times seven. His point is, it is incalculable. As many times as you are offended, you forgive. As many times as you are sinned against, you have a heart that is willing to forgive the brother who asks you to forgive him. Forgiveness then keeps no record of wrongs. And so I ask you the question, is there some wife here this morning and you're keeping a record of wrongs against your husband? Is there a husband that is keeping a record of wrongs against your wife? Is there someone who is keeping a record of wrongs in his heart? You know your heart. You know if you are doing this, you are holding on to a record of wrong against your brother. Are you doing that? Is there someone here who is doing that? It is eating out your very soul. Well, you see, behind this forgiveness is the cross. It is this cross that pardons us. And as we continue as Christians to sin against our Father in heaven, our God is so kind and gracious and merciful through the infinitely valuable blood of Christ that He forgives, and He forgives, and He forgives, and He forgives, and He forgives forgives our sins. In Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, Jesus said, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive your brother. The old Puritan Matthew Henry said so beautifully, we should make it our constant practice to forgive injuries and should accustom ourselves to it until it become habitual. It was said of Archbishop Cranmer, the great reformer, if you do Archbishop Cranmer wrong, he will be your friend for life. I would that that would, would be my epitaph, that someone could say that about me. I hope that they will be able to say it about you. That means we understand forgiveness of sins when we treat others that way. Now the third thing we see, the large part of the sermon, is the necessity of forgiving injuries, Jesus' parable. Now Jesus tells us that this parable is about the kingdom. That is to say, where there is the inbreaking of God saving rain, we see the glory of forgiveness. Where there is the inbreaking of God saving rain into the hearts and lives of his people, the inevitable result is the forgiveness of sins in our lives and our forgiveness of others who sin against us. As we come to this parable, we see several things. First, we see the master's wonderful mercy. The master's wonderful mercy. This man comes to the king, the master, and he owes 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. That is a lot of money. It was a lot of money in those days. It would be a lot of money today. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, we read in verse 4, 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house. This was the the offerings that were brought uh, for the temple. We read in 1 Kings uh, chapter 10 and uh, verse 14 that Solomon's wealth was this, now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. We know from history that Herod's annual revenue was about 900 talents. This man owed 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents to the king. He owed an unpayable debt. For all practical purposes, the debt that he owed was an infinite debt. All sin is debt. When the Apostle Paul says the wages of sin is death, wages means that we merit death. Wages means that it is the debt that we owe to God for having broken his law. Sin is an infinite debt. Because it is the breach of God's infinite law, reflective of his infinite character. It has offended his infinite character, and therefore, I justly deserve his displeasure infinitely. In Ezra chapter 9, Ezra prayed this way, "'Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God.' For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. Is there some lost sinner this morning here? And you can say from the heart, my God, my iniquities have risen higher than my head. My guilt has mounted up to the heavens. That is what is represented by the 10,000 talents owed by this man to the king. We cannot pay that debt of sin any more than he could pay that debt that he owed the king. If God had not paid the debt through his son who shed his blood on the cross to redeem and to save us, we would be eternally ruined. You know this in your conscience. You know as you hear the gospel of Christ and as you some of you turn from it and reject it. You know within your conscience it is folly for this man to think that he could pay the debt. Look what he first does. In verse 26, the servant fell on his knees imploring the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And so it is often when the Holy Spirit began, begins to work in a man's life, the first thing he does is to accelerate his works, thinking that somehow he can pay his debt. But he cannot, and you cannot, and I cannot pay that debt. So I was reading something in Ian Murray again last week that I had read years ago. I was reminded of the minister Robert Blair. Robert Blair was excommunicated by the Bishop of Down in 1634. Now, the Bishop of Down was an unbeliever, didn't believe the gospel, and was abusing his authority. And uh, Murray says after the sentence was pronounced, Blair rose and cited the bishop to appear before the tribunal of Jesus Christ to answer for his deed. Upon this, the bishop expressed his confidence that he would be able to appeal to the mercy of God, only to be told by the persecuted minister, your appeal is like to be rejected because you act against the light of your own conscience. Shortly after this, the bishop fell seriously ill. When his physician, Dr. Maxwell, came to inquire what was wrong, he was long silent and with great difficulty uttered these words, It is my conscience, man. To which the doctor replied, I have no cure for that. You go to any religion, you turn to any philosophy, you turn to any but Jesus Christ, And you will find none can pay the debt. And you know deep within yourself, you know within your conscience that what I say is true. That there is no one but Christ who can pay the sin debt. No one but Jesus who can set the prisoner free. No one, nothing but Christ can forgive us our debt of sin. Oh, the mercy of God to forgive us our sins. The mercy of Christ to shed his blood in our place to forgive us our sins Oh, the blessed Holy Spirit that applies the gospel to our hearts. God in infinite mercy is ready to pardon sinners their most wicked and heinous sins and all of their sins, all of their infinite debt because God is moved with infinite compassion towards sinners. God's reasons for mercy are found within his own nature and there is forgiveness with God for the greatest sin. Through Christ, God looses believing sinners from their debt to the law of God as a curse for our disobedience. And so we see, first of all, in this parable, the master's wonderful mercy. But then as we move along in the parable, we see the servant's merciless attitude toward his own fellow creditor. Look at verses 28 through 30 again. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, How small the debt was compared with his own debt just forgiven by the king. This man loved money, but he did not love his neighbor how severe he was. He took him by the throat. He choked him saying, pay me what you owe. When 10,000 talents, an unforgivable debt had been forgiven, an infinite debt had been wiped clean, yet he would not forgive this man his debt. He was implacable and threw him into debtor's prison until he should pay the debt. He had just left the king forgiven. Now tell me, Have we never done that? I, have you never done that, believer in Jesus Christ? You've been forgiven a debt you could never have paid, and yet you have harbored within your heart ill feelings towards your brother, and you've had an unwillingness to forgive. That small debt, when your great, infinite debt has been paid. Do you remember what Paul says in Titus 2? For we ourselves once were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's what we were. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And do you remember the passage in Ephesians I read earlier? Chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Fellow slaves report this horrible deed to the king. And the third thing we see as we move in the parable is the master's response to his cruelty. He had just abused the king's mercy. Mercy shown to him obligated him to show mercy to his fellow servant, but he showed no mercy. He was merciless, and the king revoked his pardon. The king's wrath came upon him pointing to the time when the worm of the sinner's conscience dieth not in hell. Thank God Christ paid it all for his people, or we would be lost and undone forever. Then we see, fourthly, the principle. The point of it all. The principle in answer to Peter's question, How many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? The principle is found in verse 35. Look at it. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now the purpose of the parable is not to teach that a person can truly be forgiven by God and then have his forgiveness revoked. That would be contrary to everything the scripture teaches about the salvation that has been granted us in Christ our Lord. It's a Trinitarian salvation. As I often tell you, God the Father chose His own people out of His own sovereign will, not because of anything within us. He sent His Son who willingly came, who shed His blood and redeemed those people. The Holy Spirit applies that gospel to their hearts so that they will finally persevere to the end. The scriptures teach us that when Christ died for his people, that he actually purchased us. He didn't just make salvation possible. He redeemed his people from their sins. He actually purchased us. There's no double jeopardy. If the debt has been paid by Christ, you don't owe it any longer. The purpose of the parable is not to say that. We have many didactic places in the New Testament that teach us clearly the eternal salvation of those who trust in Christ. Don't push the parable too far. It's always a danger when you read parables to push them too far. And remember the scriptures also teach us that the new birth is a genuine change of nature and those born of God will learn to forgive others. The parable is not teaching you can lose your salvation. The parable is not teaching that God's forgiveness of us is dependent on our forgiveness of others, as if we could somehow merit forgiveness by forgiving others. It's not the point. The parable is teaching this. The parable is teaching if God has forgiven your debt, a debt that you could never have paid, you can forgive your brother anything. Indeed, if your debt has been forgiven by your Savior. You will learn to forgive your brother his small debt against you. Small in comparison with the debt that has been pardoned. Turn back to chapter 6. Remember we spent a long time in this passage in the Sermon on the Mount. When in verse 12 in the Lord's Prayer... The Lord Jesus teaches us to pray and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And then the Lord Jesus wants to underscore that and does so in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 6. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now he doesn't say... That we are to pray, forgive us our debts because we forgive others, but as we forgive others. We fashion our forgiveness of others after God's forgiveness of us. To us it is free, and so we can learn to freely forgive our brothers. The bottom line is this, forgiving others shows that we are forgiven It's the fruit of forgiveness in your life when you forgive your brother his offense and sin against you. And since our understanding of God's forgiveness of us will deepen our desire to forgive others, let's fourthly take a few moments to extol the forgiveness of our sins through Christ our Lord. Here is this debt, infinite, that we could never have paid, this debt And Jesus paid the debt. He paid it all. He left none for you to pay, believer in Jesus. He came into this world and he obeyed the law that you broke. And he went to a cross and he shed his blood and he paid the debt and paid it in full. A complete atonement. A finished atonement on the cross. Do you hear a complete and finished atonement? Young people who are here this morning, let me ask are you concerned with your eternal salvation? I know many of you know the Lord. Many of you are concerned with your eternal salvation. But are there young people among us and you are careless about this? Let me tell you, last night, to warm my heart, I need to be careful about what I read. To warm my heart, I pulled down Jonathan Edwards and reread a good portion of the narrative of surprising conversions the narrative of how God sent that first great revival in Northampton. The reason I need to be be careful is because I was so excited I didn't sleep all night. (laughs) Oh, what God did and how I pray he will do it here and do it again. One of the things that very much impressed me was the way in which the Holy Spirit moved in the lives of the young who were careless and some of them living very immoral lives who were drawn savingly to Jesus. Listen, young person, you have a debt that is compounding, it is already infinite, it is infinite now, and infinite upon infinite upon infinite upon infinite upon infinite, and you cannot pay it, Jesus paid it all. Go to the cross, go to Jesus, come to Christ, young person, give your heart to Him, trust Him as your Redeemer and your Savior. This is the forgiveness of God that grips the heart, that enables you to forgive your brother the small sins against you, committed by him. What does God say about forgiveness? God says that he blots out our sin through Jesus. Isaiah 43, 25, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. He blots them out. It seems that he's referencing a ledger, so that the man says, the debt, I strike it out. Jesus, with his own crimson blood, has taken that debt. He has stricken it so that we owe it no more. We have nothing to pay. Debt, you say, you go to him and say, Oh God, oh God, I believe in Jesus, but I feel condemned in my conscience because of my debt. Debt, what debt? What debt? To what debt are you referring? I have blotted out your debts from my ledger. He casts it behind his back, Isaiah 38, 17. You know, when you cast something behind your back, you're done with it. And that is what God says of our sins. He says in Isaiah 38, 17, you have cast all my sins behind your back. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Tell me how far is that, as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west so far, does he remove our transgressions from us? He casts our sins into the bottom of the sea. Micah 7.19, you will cast our sins into the depth of the sea. He treads our sins underfoot. Micah 7.19, he will tread our iniquities underfoot. He removes them and remembers them no more. Isaiah 43, 25, I will not remember your sins. He makes no mention of them. Ezekiel 33, 16, none of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. They are not even to be found. For he says in Jeremiah 50 20 in those days and in that time declares the Lord iniquity shall be sought in Israel and there shall be none. And sin in Judah and none shall be found for I will pardon those whom I leave as a remnant. So that the righteousness of Jesus received by believers is called in Daniel 9 29 an everlasting righteousness that has been imputed to our account and received by faith alone, believer in Jesus. Extol with me in your heart the forgiveness of sins, will you? What does God say? Jesus paid the debt, the infinite debt, he paid it all. He blots out your sin. He casts it behind his back. He has removed it as far as the east is from the west. He casts your sins into the bottom of the sea. He treads them underfoot He remembers them no more. He makes no mention of them. They are not to be found. If you were once pardoned in Jesus' blood, you are pardoned forever. Hallelujah. You are pardoned forever. And that's what Jesus is saying to us in this parable. Forgiven people whose infinite debt has been wiped clean, removed, cast behind God's back. Forgiven people. Forgive others. Our natures are radically changed by the work of the Spirit of God. We now see something of our sin. We see something of grace. We understand the forgiveness of sins, that we are saved. We understand something of forgiveness. And so we... Forgive others. Praise God. You don't have to carry in your heart that bitterness toward your brother. You're forgiven. The condemnation is removed. You no longer have to harbor condemnation toward your brother. Now let Covenant Presbyterian Church be a red-hot center from which the gospel is radiated to the world, a blazing fire of forgiven and forgiving people. Let that characterize this church. Because who can truly know his sins are forgiven and not be willing to forgive his brother? Let me ask you this. Are you brokenhearted over your sin? Are you brokenhearted when you think it is my sin that nailed my Savior's hands and feet to the cross and my sin that drove the spear into his side, and my sin that pressed the crown of thorns into his beautiful brow, that it's my sin that sent him there to bear the wrath of God that I deserve to pay in hell forever and ever and ever, am I brokenhearted over my sin? And then I ask you, Are you overwhelmingly grateful for the pardon, the forgiveness, the free grace, the justification that has come to you as you have believed in Jesus? Are you? Are you overwhelmed with forgiveness and what He has done for you? If you are, you are the person who will forgive others their trespasses against you. But let me say, I fear for some of us here. Some of us who have professed faith in Christ, you need to wake up. We have sleeping people. You're asleep to prayer. You're asleep to the battle. You're asleep to the forgiveness of sins. You've forgotten the greatness of God's forgiveness And you are harboring within your heart those things against your brother you have no right to harbor. Wake up! Every genuine child of God, true believer in Jesus, everyone whose sins are truly pardoned, will learn to forgive his brother from his heart. Is there someone against whom... You hold a grudge. Someone who perhaps has really sinned against you and you need to have a forgiving heart and a forgiving attitude toward that brother. But now my unbelieving friend here this morning, oh, how happy we are you are here to hear the forgiveness of sins through Jesus' blood. But let me say to you now, if you do not trust in Christ, you are unforgiven. What a, what a horrible word to think that you might go out into eternity and you are unforgiven. You do not know Christ. Do you know what that means, that you are unforgiven? Listen to J.C. Ryle. Listen to this. As a minister of Christ for more than a quarter of a century, I know something of man's exceeding blindness to his natural state. Listen to me once more, whilst I ply your conscience with another argument. Oh, that God may open your eyes and show you what you are. Sit down and take pen and paper and count up the sins that you have probably sinned since you first knew good from evil. Sit down, I say, and make a sum. Grant for a moment that there have been, on an average, 15 hours in every 24 hour during which you have been awake and an active and accountable being. Grant for a moment that in each one of these 15 hours you have sinned only two sins. Surely you will not say that's an unfair supposition. Remember, we may sin against God in thought, word, and in deed. I repeat it cannot be thought an extreme thing to suppose that in each waking hour of your life you have in thought, word, or deed, sinned two sins. And now add up the sins of your life and see what the sum to what sum they will amount. At the rate of fifteen waking hours in a day, you have sinned every day thirty sins. At the rate of seven days in a week, you have sinned 210 sins every week. At the rate of four weeks in every month, you have sinned 840 sins every month. At the rate of 12 months in every year, you have sinned 10,080 sins every year. And in short, not to go further with the calculation, Every ten years of your life, you have sinned, at the lowest computation, more than 100,000 sins. I invite you to look calmly at this sum. I defy you to disprove its correctness. I ask you, on the contrary, whether I have not entirely understated your case. I appeal to you as an honest person whether it be true that many an hour and many a day in your life you have sinned incessantly. I ask you confidently whether the sum would not be far more correct if the total number of your sins was multiplied tenfold. Oh, cease from your self-righteousness. Lay aside this proud affectation of not being so very bad, in which you are trying to wrap yourself up, Be bold enough to confess the truth. Listen not to that old liar of the devil. Surely in the face of that damning son, which I have just cast up, you will not dare to deny that you have many sins. It's not only that. It's not how many sins we've committed. It's that we are sinners. That we are fallen in Adam. It's not only what we do, it's who we are from which those sinful deeds stem. And so when God forgives, my friend, it is irrevocable, thank God. And nothing you do will earn it. Nothing you do can earn it. The old hymn is just so right. What? can wash away my sins. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He only can remove the sin debt. And so I call upon you, my unbelieving friend, to look to Christ as the one who satisfied God's just law, whose blood can cleanse you from all sin. Because the parable not only teaches that a forgiven person forgives, But underlying the parable is the truth that anyone who turns in faith to Christ will be completely forgiven his sins. And God's people said, Amen.